Hello, my wonderful subscribers. I wanted to tell you a change you might notice that I'm adding to this podcast, a change I hope you will love. I have two parts now to each episode. The first part will be the story, as always. And the second part will be the trauma healing lesson, also, as always, but broken up into two separate sections. You may still listen to all together as you have been, or you may listen to one or the other, depending on your time. I hope this new format will allow you to go back and forth more easily through the lessons when you need them and will also allow you to hear a lesson that you may have missed from a previous episode or in a new way as we are traveling together on this life journey of trauma healing. But please be patient as it will take a moment for us to go back and publish each episode in two parts. But you have the choice now with episode 24. Happy listening. And as always, I welcome your feedback. I can't tell you how happy your listening in and sharing Blink of an Eye with others makes me. We are so interconnected. And we are lifting up together the possibility and potential for healing each time we listen in together. Here we go. Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down, and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Episode 24, The ABC Board, August 9th, Day 5, Sunday. As I sat quietly in Archer's room composing an update for my family, it was the end of this day, and I wrote, Day of rest. It was late again. Another day flown by. But a day of rest was not reflective of how I felt on the inside. I had a small iPhone 6 that I could cradle in my right hand while I also scrolled and wrote whatever I needed with my right thumb, allowing me to use my free hand for whatever I needed. It was a method that came in handy. It was dark in Archer's room, the lights of the monitors burning through the dusky darkness, and I thumbed the keystrokes, compiling the summary of the day. I paused and thought about that ABC board I didn't know what we would do without it. We were on day five and the communication process with Archer had really evolved. 
as I tell you, it almost takes my breath away. Here are some excerpts of an interview over five years later with my son, Pete Semt, the inventor of the ABC board from $1 parts from the dollar store. As we looked back on this evolution. Maybe you'll find it useful too if you have a loved one in the ICU who is not able to communicate using voice or any gestures. Here we go. Yeah, I can't remember like what stage Archer's recovery was, but for a while there, I think we were doing like blinks to signify the letter because he couldn't move his head at all. Yeah. Now that I think about it, I don't think it was really like nods until later on. I think it was like literally he was, you know, stuck dead still and he would just blink when it came to the letter he wanted. Yeah. But there was, there were more days of, of blinks, I think. Definitely more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I think about it, I think it was the blinks. Yeah, the blinks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I remember later the blinks got so faint that we couldn't even pick up a blink late, you know, days later. Yeah. In the blink of an eye. In the blink of an eye. Yeah. The communication. Yeah, I think like to distinguish from like normal blinking, I think he would like kind of like hold it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like keep it clo- keep his eyes closed for a second or two. Just so it wasn't just like, you know, we didn't think he was saying yes to a letter from a normal blink. Yeah. A long blink. Yeah. Yep. I don't remember if it was one blink for yes and two blinks for no, or one blink for no and two blinks for yes. I suspect it may have been one blink for no and two blinks for yes, to be sure. I know we were trying to be enormously careful. Yeah. I don't know if it was something like that or just like nothing for no and like a long blink for yes. Or maybe that was it. At least when you're going over the board, you don't ask yes, no, every letter. You just say like blink when it's the right letter. Right. I think that's, I think that's exactly right for the Then you can kind of like scan pretty fast. You know, even if you miss it by a second and like you think he blinks on the D and he's, and then you say D and then it's like, oh no, it was a C. You know, you can kind of work through that. That's, that's right. We were we were watching him for a long blink for when he got to the letter he wanted. Mm-hmm. You know what I remember too about that? Arthur was not frustrated in that effort. He was enormously patient. That's that's my memory of it. Is that yours as well? Yeah, I think he was just happy to be able to communicate. Especially because most of the things that he was asking for were like things that he was like very uncomfortable. Right. 
but it's like such a simple thing that could make him more comfortable. Right. Had no way of telling people what it what it was. Right. Yeah, like swab my mouth. Right. Suction the mucus, you know, out of whatever my nose, my ear. Right. Itch. I you know, itch my ear. Right. Often. Little stuff. Little stuff that take for granted being just impulsive, you know, subconsciously you do when you can move everything. Yeah. Like the, like the body's got sort of this cognitive and then this also this kind of, um, right. Like they say, like they say, don't touch your face in COVID and people would say like, I never touch my face. Meanwhile, like they test their face hundreds of times subconsciously. Yeah. Yeah, the body needs something and the body responds. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, the other kind of hit I'm getting is how important it is to have a loving person, a family member or, you know, dear friend sitting side by side with anybody in an ICU because there's no way the medical staff could attend to those kinds of needs, those just basic human suffering to potential ease kinds of needs. You know, we couldn't ever begin to ask them. They don't have the time to work through what these, you know, small needs are. But yeah, us being able to do that really helped. Then we can, you know, pull them in just when we we need them to do something and kind of take care of the rest ourselves. Yeah. I mean, we think about it, it's a really, it's a really good partnership, you know, that can be developed between a family and medical staff. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm remembering about those boards? I think that the request that Archer had that required the nurse where they wouldn't allow us because I know there were some things we wanted to be able to do, but they were like, kind of like hands off, um, you know, don't touch them or don't do this um, or something yeah. obvious machine. And I think you put, you started putting an asterisk by those things so that when Archer needed them, I, I, I seem to recall you oh. saying to him, do you need a nurse? And then you would just skip to the ones that had the asterisk mm-hmm. as opposed to going down the whole list. You still have the bo- that board. Oh yeah, yeah. Still have yeah, that sounds right. We there were yeah, certain things we thought of just kind of to expedite the whole process before you know last last step. If nothing else, if none of those other things were what he needed, then spelling it out. Yeah. So it took a while to kind of get there and develop that. Obviously, you got to spell them all out at, at one point, but yeah, it did. It was. It took a while. It was a process of definitely very effective, especially once we kind of had the board, you know, including everything that you normally needed. It was effective, and and I, I felt like it brought not only some humanity into that room, but it was like we had our we had our boy, and he had us. Like we could talk with each other. Yeah, that was key. It was key. It was key. 
I was almost finished with my update when another text came in from one of the moms of Dutch's friends who had been texting me earlier about how Dutch was and how they could help. Gosh, that was just so darn nice. Three special ladies, Lisa Melanson, Billy Whitehurst, and Susan Stern, were all offering to have Dutch come stay with them. It was a big lift off my shoulders to know this was an option, since soccer practices were starting soon before school began. They had larger families, too, and all had boys, all of them, and their sons were dear friends of Dutch. They would be playing together on the same 7th, 8th grade soccer team. They were 7th graders, so they'd have to do well in tryouts to get a starting spot. I could tell the moms didn't know Dutch was at camp. So before I sent my update, I texted each of them first. This is what I texted. 8-9-15. Regarding inquiry about Dutch. It's good of you to ask. He's in the woods of Maine at a camp he adores. We told him via phone with the director by his side that Archer had a bad accident, broke a part of his neck, and we were in the hospital. He responded gravely, that's horrible. We told him to stay and have fun and we'd keep him posted. I didn't feel fully resolved about that, and the next night, when we almost lost Archer, and here we are all together as a family in Atlantic Care, except for Dutch, I felt Dutch was old enough to know he had the option of being here with us or staying. So we arranged to speak with him again. I told him, while we fully supported his staying, he had the option. I needed him to know that. I told him Dewey was at the ready to come get him that night if he wanted, that we were all together. There wasn't anything for anyone to do if he did come, but he had the option. We haven't told him what it means to have a broken neck nor said anything about the details like paralysis, collapsed lungs, life support, or quadriplegic so he doesn't know the extent. He did ask me about going to Saratoga like you know we do every August to see my brother, the horse trainer. I told him we wouldn't be going this year, even though that was our plan. I know that made a big impact, that things are serious here, because he knows it's a big effort for us to go and it's part of what we do, but not this year. There were a lot of silences on the phone, so I know he was thinking about it. I don't want him to have his camp experience that he loves so much forever changed because of this accident. He was pretty solemn, but we gave him the option to stay and encouraged him, and he chose to stay until the end of color war. Dewey will pick him up 
So that was how it was yesterday with Dutch. I went back to my update I was writing and hoped I hadn't lost it as I was composing it in the text box of the last text friend who had texted me. Oh, whew, it was still there. I figured I'd copy and paste it to the others once I sent it out one time. The easiest thing for me to do was to just go in order of the last person I had texted and go backwards. I was looking over the notebooks in my lap to remind me what all went on today, but they were beginning to fill with too many notes of things that were of not great interest, I'm sure, to my family. They did mean something to me, though, as I was trying to keep track of which doctor and which specialist came by and what each one of them said. I also used the notebooks to write down questions I had in the margins of the specialist whom I thought can answer them. I had questions. And what was happening was that when I talked with them, they regularly said things like, I'm the pulmonologist, that's not my specialty. Or I'm the radiology tech, you have to ask the doctor. Or even a couple nurses had said to my questions, we're not supposed to tell you. You'll need to ask the doctor. They deferred a lot. I was trying to get the players down as I was unfamiliar with the specialties of some of these people. So I was always asking them and doing my best to write things down. I'd recommend it, actually. There were a few on the medical staff who would talk to me so quickly or so brusquely that I had to ask them a few times what they had even said. But I wanted to know, and I wanted to understand what was happening to Archer. As for my original intention a few days ago to keep track of all the nurses, <laughs> well, there are so many different nurses I stopped writing down all their names. And some just come in one time, so it seems. Maybe taking the place of someone else. I'm not sure. So I only took note of those nurses who were nice and helpful sharing information. I was trying to figure out a system. I'm oriented to systems, and I like figuring out how to make complicated things simple, or at least understandable. But I was having some kind of difficulty getting my arms around what seems like basic information here. I decided the notebooks would be for my own records. The next time I looked at my phone, I was back in Cape May again. It was 2.30 in the morning. Billy and I had a changing of the guard, and I drove home. And I cried again the whole way home. I walked around the house in the quiet and picked up and straightened up and put things away.
I worked a little more on the update to send. I thought I had finished and almost hit the send button, but I paused. There were other things that happened that day that I didn't include. I remember wondering if I should and wondering if I could. My list of friends texting me had grown to 82 people. I had counted friends from all walks and chapters of my life. The only reason I knew it was 82 was because the night before it had taken me a couple of hours to send the update, copying and pasting to each of them. And I counted to make sure because I did not want to overlook anyone. I was so grateful for those friendships. But my updates had been intended for my family. They were so personal. And, well, my growing group of friends texting me were beyond family and grade school, high school, and college friends. It included my professional friends, you know, from the law school and my mediation community, lawyers, academics, professional conference friends, and my women's group friends. I mean, they were friendships some very deep friendships. They were all personal. But what I had on my mind was really personal. I wondered, how intimate can you be with professional friends? If I really shared what was on my heart, would they still be my friends? How well does any friend really know you? I wasn't sure. And I knew I was laying it all out there, telling them exactly how it really was. It might be too much, but I needed a record. But I was also going out on a limb, asking them to pray with me. It felt like being exposed a little. I mean, prayer is so personal, but I was torn wide open and it was all I knew to do. I thought I might scare my friends off. And I had dear friends who may not believe in Jesus as God's son or in Mother Mary. I didn't even know, but I didn't want to lose them. But it's what I believed. And I loved them, all of them. I wanted them to pray with me. They didn't have to be Christian. The thought lingered for a while. We are all praying to the same God. 
It doesn't matter what religious tradition or spiritual framework, right, Lord? Isn't that what little c on Catholic means? I need them, Lord. I need them to pray because I know you will listen to each of them. And if we all pray, then there will be many voices, not just mine. Oh, we need so many prayers. And I need those prayers, Lord. Not just for Archer, but for Billy and me. I closed my eyes. When I opened them, I was clear. Go ahead and send it as is. It was very late, or very early, depending on how you look at it. I needed to get some sleep, and it was almost five o'clock in the morning. Another day of looking back. I hit the send button. This is what I texted. 8 9 Day five, family update. It was a relatively quiet day of rest for Archer. His lacrosse coaches came to see him and another dear friend this morning. But his mood seems a bit low and he has been feverish on and off and climbing higher. So they are checking on anything systemic. It's been a very sobering day with assessments. He has no feeling in his hands or any parts of his chest below his thorax, nor any in his legs or feet. The medical staff's attitudes in response to our hopefulness varies, and most tolerate us, while two others almost seem to shake their heads. We are realists. We also are believers in things we cannot see, but know can happen. I think Billy and I, in our separate shifts now, toggle all day between the moment-to-moment practicality of taking care of Archer in the now and in our 50-minute drives back and forth where we just dissolve and bawl. It's all the little stuff that sparks the deep sadness. It feels like my chest is so achy, it could crumble. Like walking in the house and seeing Archer's pricey $18 each art markers he was so proud of that he had purchased from his cooking earnings to do surfboard designs for friends this summer. He is such an amazing artist. Archer asks, quote, unquote, asks repeatedly, when will the tubes be removed? And the answer is always, when you can breathe on your own. And you're doing great getting there. 
But on this day, the ambiguity seems to be wearing him out. I went seeking more answers and found a helpful trauma doctor here who was able to tell us that typically for someone like Archer, who has pneumothorax condition, air in the region between his lung and chest wall, where they should be adhered to each other, but are not because air has gotten in between. The resolution is about 1% each day from the time of lung collapse. So it's 15 days for us from his lung injury because he has 15% pneumothorax. I asked Archer if he cares to know things like that. He does. Archer is so smart. I think it will help him to know everything as he will make sense of it. We, of course, added, it's still wait and see, and every day counts. We're hoping for August 31st to be off the lung machines, or at least transition to something that places less pressure on his chest. I know, I know, it might be later but it's a date he can aim for. All in all, it's been a sobering day. And I'd say his spirits reflect that. It's also Sunday. Thanks to the ABC boards, we have a way to converse, labored as it sometimes is with a new request. I promised him in a conversation around midnight that we'd tell him all we knew. He was very bright-eyed and seemed renewed, albeit with fever. He really likes the cold compresses I put on him, <laughs> which I recall Billy so lovingly would place on my forehead when I was in labor and how much I appreciated it. So we also wipe his face with a cold cloth, which he likes too, and it may be keeping the fever just below 101. He spelled out H-U-G again tonight with me. And so I lay my head on his chest and took in his smells and heartbeat. I added hug to the board of common requests. He is so loving. Rest, this elusive concept when you're being assessed, turned, poked, blood worked, x-rayed, turned, suctioned, swabbed, etc for something every hour with a one to two patient nurse ratio and his bed on an electric timer to alternate sides for him every 10 minutes now to prevent bed sores. He is always kind and loving in his eyes. Even when it takes us 10 minutes 
to figure out new simple requests. But the message board, the ABC board, very powerful. I relayed to him what James had reported to me and that no one actually saw what happened. Using the ABC board for about an hour or so, Archer told, quote, end quote, me, he was about waist high in the ocean and waited out to cool off from being in the kitchen at work. He dove in a good wave and hit a sandbar. He took in water and then held his breath after hitting his head. He knew right away he was paralyzed. He said all that James reported was accurate. I asked if he felt anything else or recalls saying anything else. He blinked. Yes. Using the ABC board again, he spelled out, I told James, thank you. I said, you told James, thank you? He blinked. Yes. But he wasn't finished. He blinked another sentence. It took a moment because he did every word. Archer is formal and precise like that. He blinked. I am happy. I am alive. We feel God's love amidst this unknowing. Amen. As I sent the last text, I closed my eyes. Amen. I learned as a little girl that that means I believe. But you probably know that too. I realized I was instinctually relying on what I had been taught when I was a little girl to believe. I think it was one of the saints in my tradition who said to pray always for everything. I wanted to feel God's love amidst the unknowing. It was just such a big leap of faith this time. You know, there was so much unknowing. I was so grateful for that ABC board. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Sending love, hope for everything, obtain everything. To hear the lesson that goes with this story, tune in and listen to episode 24, the ABC Board Trauma Healing Lesson.
You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Please subscribe via email on our site, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. This episode is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. For 28 years, Baltimore Mediation has served clients worldwide by facilitating negotiation breakthroughs, believing in their capacity for meaningful face-to-face dialogue. You can learn more at BaltimoreMediation.com.